two bars. Lord willing, we are there. Coming through? Can you hear it come through? Am I there? Am I there? Yay? Nay? Hopefully we are, yes. Okay, good. We got a thumbs up back there. Praise God. Hallelujah. It is Communion Sunday. Um, and it's uh, one of our favorite uh, times of the, of the year as well. It's that uh, time when we can focus on Thanksgiving. We can focus on things that we can look back throughout the year. And for some of us, 2023 has been pretty bad. It's been one thing after another. But even in the midst of those things, as we're going to see in, in the, where we're at here in Isaiah, um, even though things can be, have been, tough, rough, bad, sad, all those things, there's many things that we can thank God for in the simple things. As I was saying earlier, just, just to be able to get up and see the beauty, just to look up at the stars at night, just to see all the things that God has given us. And as the, I don't know if anybody noticed, but I'm a foodie. I like to eat. And how wonderful is that, that God has given us so many different things to enjoy? He didn't have to. I mean, you think about it. You think about the different fruits that we have that we like, and we all have likes and dislikes. Think about all the different kinds of meats, and maybe some of us don't like meats. We think about all the different veggies and all the things, the breads, and all the things that God has given, and it's just a glimpse of his glory, and a glimpse of his love that is unchangeable, as the memory verse says. It's a wonderful thing, and it's a wonderful time. And, and that's one of the wonders of God, the God that we worship is that he is an immutable God. And what does that mean? That's, a, that's kind of a uh, $5 word, immutable. It means that God's unchanging. He can't change. And praise God for that. He won't change. Amen? He's not going to forgive your sin through the cross of Christ and then later on hold it against you. That would be unjust. And that is not God. And so we see that God... Is a God who is holy, who is righteous, who is good, who is loving, who is kind. He's also a God who contends. And that's the message, uh, the title of today's message, the God who contends. And it sounds kind of, uh, it sounds kind of ominous, the God who contends. But it's not meant to be. Because as we're going to see in God's loving kindness, in his chesed, in the Hebrew, his loving kindness, his, as David loved to say his everlasting uh, his everlasting loving kindness his merciful everlasting loving kindness um, this is the God who we serve and in the time of chaos like we're in and the time that uh, people of Isaiah's time were, were in remember they were, in, they were going to be in captivity and these next few chapters I love because they're talking about the kingdom. The kingdom of the servant that we were focused on for so many months. And now it's the kingdom that's going to come to fruition. And there's little pictures and hints and, and, and things that are spoken of so that we can know about that kingdom. And by the way, it's a kingdom that we are in right now. It's not a kingdom that's going to come way off in the future. It's a thing that we participate in today. Most people don't know that. They don't even think about that. We are operating within the, um, uh, the kingdom of God. And how do we know that? 
Well, when Jesus was asked in the New Testament by his disciples at the time that he was here on the earth, he was asked, how should we pray? And what was it that Jesus said? Pray like this. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your what? Your kingdom come, and your will be done. It's a very present thing, his kingdom. And his kingdom is his because he is the one who has established it. And no one will ever thwart it. When God began to birth the church in Acts chapter 2, at the, uh, at the coming of the Holy Spirit upon the people, the disciples, those who believed in Jesus who had followed him, and who were wavering, who were waiting and they were obedient, there in Jerusalem in the upper room, they waited for him as he told them after he has ascended, after his resurrection. And then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit came and it birthed something new. And the kingdom of God was upon us. And it was a new type of a kingdom. It's a king, it's a kingdom with an invisible king. A king who had come and he came as a servant. He came to serve all. He came to be the servant of all. A different kind of a king. And a different kind of a kingdom. And our king, although we can't see him, he's invisible. He's undoubtedly the king. He's the king of the universe. He's the king of holiness. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of time. He's the king of creation. He is the ultimate king. And that's the one who we're going to be focused on here. And so we are in Isaiah 49, verses 22 through 26. Um, and in these short verses, there's so much that is here. And so I want to begin by reading these, these passages, uh, starting in verse 22, and as a reminder from the last time we were here, it's been a couple weeks since we've been back in Isaiah, and if you remember the last, when we finished uh, the last uh, um, service that we had when we were going through Isaiah, um, the, the people were bewildered. God was looking forward in time and telling the people that even though they're children, they've been bereaved of their children. And what does it mean to be bereaved of? Well, it's like my cousin. Her family is bereaved of her presence now because she's no longer here. And that's the idea. And they were bereaved of their children. And God says, no, I'm going to take you back to Jerusalem. I'm going to take you back to rebuild the temple, to rebuild the, the city gates, to rebuild the wall, to do all these things, and to live there. And as it says in verses 20 and 21, it says of, of chapter 49, it says, The children of whom you were bereaved will yet say in your ears, This place is too cramped for me. Make room for me that I may live here. Then you will say in your heart, Who has begotten these for me? Since I have been bereaved of my children, and am barren, and an exile, and a wanderer. And who has reared these? Behold, I was left alone. From where did these come? It's a mystery to them. God is going to bring them their builders, if you remember from the previous chapter, from the previous verses. He says, I'm going to bring you your sons, and they're going to rebuild for you. They're the ones who are going to build all this stuff back up for you. And so God, in response, is doing a kind of a catechism type thing. He's asking a question, and he's expecting an answer. 
And that's what is going on here. And so in verse 22, he says this, and it reads as following. Please follow along in Isaiah chapter 49, verse, 20, or verse 22. Thus says the Lord God, Adonai Elohim, Behold, I will lift up my hand to the nations and set up my standard to the peoples, and they will bring your sons in their bosom, and your daughters will be carried on their shoulders, and kings will be your guardians and their princes, your nurses. They will bow down to you with their faces to the earth and lick the dust of your feet. Interesting. And you will know that I am Yahweh. Those who hopefully wait for me will not be put to shame. And he asks these series of questions. Can the prey be taken from the mighty man? Or the captives of a tyrant be rescued? Surely, thus says Yahweh, even the captives of the mighty man will be taken away, and the prey of the tyrant will be rescued. For I will contend with the one who contends with you. I will save your sons, and I will feed your oppressors with their own flesh. This is pretty descriptive language. God is not afraid to use descriptive language. I will feed your oppressors with their own flesh, and they will become drunk with their own blood, as with sweet wine. And all flesh will know that I, Yahweh, am your Savior, and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Let's pray. Father, how glorious and wonderful that you are that you are that warrior king and you're the king of glory we thank you that you contend with those who contend with us even in our time for those who uh, do contend with us Lord you say that you will contend on our behalf and it's not because of us it's not because of what we do what we say or any of those things or how we act out it's because of your unchanging love because of who you are, and you delight in it. You delight in displaying your love in a marvelous way. In spite of who and what we are, we thank you. We thank you that you are that God, that immutable God, that unchangeable God, that God who fills us with your spirit, your Holy Spirit, because of your Son and what he has done. Help us to focus on him. I pray that you would open up our eyes, ears, mind, and heart, that we would know these things, that they would sink deeply within that we would take them in, that you would open up eyes, that you would open up ears, for your name's sake and for your glory's sake, and that you would draw to your Son whom you will, according to your kind intention, according to the counsel of your own will, because that's who you are. Thank you, Lord, that you save us, and that you displayed your love for us while we were yet sinners, and Christ died for us. We thank you for all of these things and more. We praise you, Lord, and bless you in Jesus' holy name. Have your way amongst us. Amen. So God says, thus says the Lord. Some of the most powerful words in Scripture. And there are words that we shouldn't take lightly. Uh, we shouldn't be quick to speak those to somebody else. As if we're speaking for the Lord. A lot of people still do that today. And it's sad. 
especially when it doesn't line up with this. Yes. The good thing is this. When somebody says, thus says the Lord, or the Lord gave me a word, or the Lord told me, or the Lord showed me in a dream, or the Lord showed me in a vision, and it doesn't line up with what this says, I can just listen and go, nah. No, sorry. That didn't come from God. And I have done that before. And I wasn't taken very kindly when I said it. Like, that didn't come from God. That's from your own imagination. That doesn't light up the scripture at all. Um, and here, God, it says, it begins with those words, Thus says the Lord, the Lord God, Adonai Elohim. The, the important thing is, it's what God says. God speaks in this place, uh, I mean, in here, in Isaiah. Okay? I'm not talking about in this place. I'm talking about in Isaiah. He speaks through his prophet. And he says, Behold, I will lift up my hand to the nations. Um, in one of the commentaries, I, I like what the Benson commentary had to say. He says, I will call them to me by raising his hands and set up my standard to the people. And what is his standard? What is God's standard that he's setting up? Y'all know? It's himself. His standard is himself. It's utter perfection. That's the only thing that God can accept. Because he's holy. We often don't think about that. We think, well, if I just try hard enough, God, God understands. <laughs> well, uh, no. Because God demands and commands perfection. And when I'm talking about utter perfection, I mean morally. Morally, you have to be perfect. And it doesn't mean a little stint in time when you felt like, hey, I'm pretty holy. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about having been holy always. And as I look about me, and as I think about anybody that might be following online, I can think of no one that meets that standard. Except one. And he left his place of heaven, as Tim so aptly said. And he left that glory for a moment. So that he could come. And do something on our behalf that sometimes we don't think about. We're focused today in communion on, on the death of what Paul says that he was focused on in his ministry. He was focused on one thing. He says, I only want to know one thing. I only want to teach one thing. I only want to preach one thing. And what was that one thing? He said, I want to preach Christ crucified. I want to know him in his affliction. And I want to know him in the way that we ought. And that's what he focused on was the crucifixion of Jesus. And why it's so important. And the standard is, Jesus, yes, he did die for us, but he did another thing. And sometimes we don't really think about it. He lived the life that we can't live. He lived the life that is impossible for us to live. How do I know? Well, I blew it when I was a little kid. I'm talking about a little baby kid. I'm talking about the first time my mom and dad told me not to do something or they said I couldn't do something and I went ahead and did it, or I said no when they told me to do something. God should have zapped me right then and there and sent me to hell. 
because that's what we're deserving of. When you read what Paul writes in the New Testament, when he talks about all these different sins that condemn us, one of the things that he includes that we often look over is disobedience to parents. If you've ever been disobedient to your parents, guess what? Uh, with uh, December coming and people thinking about Santa Claus, you're on the naughty list. Okay? And you deserve not only a chunk of coal, you deserve to be the coal that fuels the fire. That's what the Bible teaches us. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's everybody. Everybody from the beginning of time, Adam, Thanks. Um, all the way to the end of time. We're all sinners, and the standard is perfection. But God is the one who contends with us. Then he says, Behold, I will lift up my hand to the nations. And what is the wonderful thing about that? The wonderful thing about that is this. Salvation is available to everyone. It's not just uh, exclusive to one set of people. In fact, we read earlier in a couple, uh, I think the chapter before, where God spoke and we had this, we had this um, eavesdropping that we were given in Scripture. You get to eavesdrop into eternity when you read Scripture. And Isaiah did that. And he recorded this conversation that God had before the foundations of the earth when he's speaking to his son. And he says, it's not enough for you to be just the savior of the Jews. I'm going to give you the nations. That's who you will be the savior of. People everywhere, of all colors, of all languages, of all places, of all origins, of all backgrounds, of all ethnicities. All can come to Christ. That's the wonder of the gospel. And he says, I lift up my hand and, uh, uh, to the nations. And I love what, again, what this commentary says. I will call them to me and set up my standard to the people. What the commentary says, the commentator says, as generals do, if you think about the old wars, um, to gather their forces together. In, in other words, in the midst of a battle, you would raise your standard so that you would know whose side that you were on. Because war is hell. It's horrible. It's horrific. We've seen some of the um, horrors of war just recently. And what happens? And so they raise their standards so people can know who are their people and on whose side they're fighting. And this is what he says. I'm going to lift my standard. What is that standard? That standard is perfection. Who is he sending up the standard to? To the people. All people everywhere. So I think this is not just talking about the Jews at that time, at the time of Babylon and their captivity and when they would be set free. This is speaking of a bigger picture, as the Old Testament does. And as I've said many times, and you've heard me say it over and over again in Bible study, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. That's what we have when we have Scripture when we use it correctly. And so in the Old Testament, this is a picture, a snippet, if you will, of something that God was going to do. He's going to include all the nations. He's going to include all the peoples. And then he says, they will bring your sons in their bosom and your daughters will be carried on their shoulders. 
Remember, this is the answer to their questioning, where did these people come from? Who broke for them for us? Where, who are they? It's something that God does supernaturally. He brings them to themselves. If you remember in Isaiah, well, I've already read the 20 and 21 of Isaiah 49. And it's, it's where God has said that they would be in the wonder at the influx of the children or the builders, the sons and daughters that they would have. And it doesn't just speak of the co contemporary time of that second exodus from Babylon. Because remember, the first exodus was going to be, was from Egypt. This is from Babylon, from their captivity. And what was the symbol of their captivity? It symbolizes what? Sin. Their rebellion. And so God said, this is the judgment. You're going to be held captive for a while. Taken from your own cities. You're going to a place where you don't speak the language, and the people are going to be cruel, and this is the judgment for your disobedience. In verse 23 of chapter 49, he says, kings will be your guardians. Hold on a second. Kings will be your guardians, and their princes your nurses. They will bow down to you and with their faces to the earth and lick the dust of your feet. What is God saying here? He's going to elevate a group of people. And the kings of the earth will bow down to them. They're going to guard them. It's going to be a time that is different from anything we've ever known. And I believe that we're in part of that time right now because we're in that kingdom. And there have been kings and princes that have come to know that there's something different about the church. It says, they will bow down with their faces to the earth and lick the dust of your feet, and you will know that I am Yahweh. Those who hopefully wait for me will not be put to shame. One of the things that is the difficulties in being a Christian is waiting on God. God's eternal and because he's eternal, as the Bible says, as Peter says, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day to him, from his perspective. He's not bound by time. He's the one who sets the time. He sets appointed times. And as Solomon said, there's a time for everything under the sun, right? Time to live, time to die. A time for love and a time for hate. There's a time for everything under the sun. And God is the one who's establishing those times, those points of time. He established the time when Jesus would come. And he says, of this kingdom that these people will be drawn to, the kings will be their guardians. Kings don't act as guardians. Kings appoint a guardian. Kings would have their kids raised by people who would raise their, their children. Because they don't have time to do that. They're kings. They're busy doing kingly stuff. They're busy being majestic and doing all their, you know, their conquering and whatnot. And he says, kings will be your guardian. What he's saying is everything's going to be turned upside down. It sounds a little bit like what Jesus said. The first will be last. And the last shall be first. The weak shall be strong, and the strong shall be weak. 
the one who dies to self and dies for the sake of Christ is the one who lives. And the one who rejects Jesus, who rejects Christ, and who lives for himself is the one who will die two deaths. They'll die a physical death, and then they'll die an eternal, eternal death. They'll die twice. So you're either born once and you die twice, or you're born twice and you die once. Amen. That's the promise of the scriptures. That's what the Bible tells us. Kings of nations that formerly oppressed Israel will serve Christ and his church, the true Israel, and in doing so find salvation. Waiting, as I've stated many times from this pulpit, waiting on God is some of the hardest things to do. Especially when we're going through it. Especially when we're in the midst of, of all kinds of problems and things that we want to be have resolved. There's a song that we sing, and it's, uh, you can hear it on the radio, and it's called Even If. Even If. And the song's about the troubles in life and the, the things that uh, somebody who's a Christian singer who sings about hope and about what we can have in Christ, the hope that we have in him, the life that we can have in him. And this person that's writing this song says, um, but even if, when I don't have anything to sing about, because my life is in a mess, my life is in a wreck, I'm waiting for an answer, I'm waiting on God, even if you don't remove the mountain, even if you don't make a way, even if you don't do what I think is answering my prayer, it says, even if, my hope is in you. That's what he says. My hope is in you, regardless. And waiting on God is one of the themes that we see over and over again. David was wonderful at expressing this. In Psalm 27, 11 through 14, he says this. This is the Psalm of David in a time of trouble. He says in Psalm 27, verses 11 through 14, he says, Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a level path because of my foes. Do not deliver me over to the desires of my adversaries, for false witnesses have arisen against me, and such as breathe out violence. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of Yahweh in the land of the living. He said, I'm not waiting on the by and by, on the pie in the sky. He says, I know that I'll experience the good of my God in the here and the now, in the physical realm, unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And he says this, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. And in Psalm 33, verses 18 through 22, he says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those whose hope, who hope for his loving kindness, his chesed, to deliver their soul from death, 
and to keep them alive in famine. He is our help and our shield. Now notice, he's admitting there's times when we're in trouble, times when we're in need, times when we are in want, times when we have to uh, wait on him because things are happening around us. And he says, he is our help and our shield. For our heart rejoices in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your loving kindness, O Lord, be upon us according as we have hoped in you. Have you hoped in him? Have you been hoping in him? Do you hope in him? The more you hope, listen to this prayer. He's like, hey, let it be according to my hope. Hey, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. The world is going haywire. The, gold, the world is headed toward chaos. The world is doing all this stuff. But you know what? My hope is in Christ. My hope is in God. In Psalm 37, verses 8 through 10, he says, Cease from anger and forsake wrath. He's talking to the people. Do not fret. It leads only to evildoing. For evildoers will be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord, they will inherit the land. There's that kingdom. Yet a little while, and the wicked man will be no more. I love that. You got some wicked men in your life? Wicked people? Maybe in offices somewhere? North of Richmond? Maybe? It says, yet a little while, and the wicked men will be no more. And you will look carefully for his place, and he will not be there. Hallelujah. And this is one of the things that has sustained me in 2023 is, is I came across Lamentations. And it's not like I hadn't been there before, but it just spoke to me. In Lamentations 3, 21 through 26, Jeremiah in his time of lamenting. All this judgment is being done and all these things are happening to his people. He sees his city um, crumbling about him. He sees his people abandoning God. He sees all these things and all this stuff that God is bringing. And in the midst of all of those things... He cries out. It's like he takes a step as he's writing. And then he says this in Lamentations 3, verses 21 through 26. He says, this I recall to my mind. Therefore I have hope. The Lord's chesed, his loving kindnesses, indeed never cease. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I have hope in him. Amen. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. To the person who seeks him. It is good that he waits silently for the salvation of the Lord. It's a wonderful thing to wait on him. Because you'll find when you least expect it, he answers and comes through in ways that you can't even think or imagine. It's astounding how often this happens. And he's saying to the people that that's what you do. You wait on him. He says, if you wait on me, you're not going to be disappointed. You will not be disappointed. Man, that's something to grasp onto. The world doesn't promise that. It can't. It tries to sell you on things that they say you deserve. Hey, you deserve the best job. Hey, you deserve the best car. Hey, you deserve the biggest house. You deserve all this stuff. But it can't come through for you. 
But those who wait on the Lord will be satisfied. They will not be disappointed. In verse 25 and, uh, 24 and 25, he says, Can the prey, he asks these questions, can the prey be taken, out of the, uh, taken from the mighty man? Or the captives of a tyrant be rescued? And I want you to think about this just temporarily. Just for a moment with what's going on in Israel. And in Gaza. Those who've been kidnapped by tyrants. By wannabe tyrants. Who's going to rescue them? Who's going to rescue those who've been kidnapped? That's the point that he's asking. When you have mighty men like this, tyrants, he's asking, who can rescue those people? You think of North Korea and the tyrants of communism throughout the world. The communists there in the White House, Department of Justice, and all these things. They hold people captive. We have Americans that are being held unjustly in prison for being in a house that we pay for in Washington, D.C. It's our house. This is what we're facing. And he asks that question, can the prey be taken from, from the mighty man or the captives from the tyrant be rescued? Surely, thus says the Lord. I love that, surely. Like without a doubt, it's really going to happen. He says, even the, captain, the captives of the mighty man will be taken away. And the prey of the tyrant will be rescued. What's the point of that? God is sovereign. God is sovereign over tyrants. He can disband that any time. Then he says this, in accordance with the title of the message, for I will contend with the one who contends with me. What kind of a God is that? The promise is that. Somebody contends with you, I'll contend with you. <laughs> That's something to really grasp onto. You mean God will fight on my behalf? Yes. Remember what he said earlier in Isaiah? He said, not only will I contend for you, I'm going to give another group of people on your behalf. I'm going to take you and save you, and then in return, I'm going to give up another group of people on your behalf. Why? Because you're my people and I love you. It's an unending love. It's a never-changing, unchanging love. His chesed, his loving kindness. It's not just love, but it's and he pours it out in measures that are immeasurable. He does so in such a way that we can't even fathom how much that he actually does love. And his love is so perfect that we can't fully grasp or wrap our minds around it. God will contend, and the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans, that's tough getting out warns us not to be filled with revenge or vengeful thoughts when things are done wrong to us. That could lead to sin. But wait for God. In Romans 12, verses 18 through 20, Paul says this, If possible, so far it depends on you. And that's something not to just take lightly. That's something to consider. What does it depend on you? I like the statement, I don't remember who originated, I can't even remember who, uh, originally who I heard it from, but they said that life is 10% of what happens to us and 90% how we react to it. 
It's a good thing to think about. How many of us have ever said, well, you make me feel like, sorry, nobody can make you feel anything. Those are your emotions, not mine. I can't make you feel anything. You're in control of that. 10% of what happens to you in life, 90% is how you respond to it. And I have to say for the younger people here, we used to have a saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt you. Words only hurt you because you allow them to. I've been called all kinds of things as a Christian. And before I was a Christian, well, I couldn't say worse things, but I never let it bother me. You know why? Because when I know that something is not true, it can't hurt me because I won't allow it to. It's not true, so I'm not going to worry about it. People say, well, aren't you going to defend yourself? Against what? It's not true. I'm not going to defend that. No reason to. It's, it's just a lie. Paul says, if possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge. Behold, or beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written. Now, think about that, what Paul is saying. Who gets the best revenge? And God is perfect in his vengeance. And he's just. He's not just doing it arbitrarily. He's not just doing it capriciously. He does it perfectly. And that's the wonder. Paul says, don't take vengeance. Don't go down that road. He says, leave room for the wrath of God. Now, notice he uses that word intentionally. Wrath. He says, let God pour his wrath out upon that person or those people. He says, for it is written, vengeance is mine, the words of the Lord, I will repay. And that's kind of what God is saying here when he says, I will contend with you. Those who contend with you, I will contend. I will get vengeance. And what's the vengeance? It's his wrath. That's a better vengeance. That's 100% better vengeance than I could ever inflict. He says, but if your enemy is, is, is hungry, listen. He says, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. He says, overlook it. I used to have a sales manager who said, be the duck. Be the duck. He would say, be the duck. Because people would come to him and complain about sometimes, because... If any of you have ever worked commercial sales, you get to know people really well. You get to see some depravity. <laughs> you get to see pretty nasty stuff and hear some pretty nasty stuff. And he would always say, be the duck. And people would look at him, what, what do you mean? He says, well, ducks, when they're swimming in the rain, the water hits them and it just rolls off their back. Because they have certain oils and things like that. He said, beat it up. Let it roll off your back. Don't hold it against them. And it's good insight. Little did he know that he's basically quoting Romans. Don't worry about it. Give it to somebody else. He says, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him drink. For in doing so, you will heat burning coals on his head. Finally, in verse 26, he says, I will feed your oppressors with their own flesh. 
and they will become drunk with their own blood, as with sweet wine. And all flesh will know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. By the way, in the time of history, if you go back in time, um, you can read the, uh, you can go back and look at the history of the cylinder of Nabonidus, who was the king of Babylon, actually writes about this. And because of the position of Nabonidus, really wasn't interested in being the king. He was more interested in traveling and doing other things. And so his son, Belshazzar, was the one who's written of in, in Daniel. <laughs> he was basically claimed the king because that's what he was assigned. And he wasn't doing a very good job. They were having a, a drunken feast. And out of, out of that drunken feast, this hand appears, imagine that, and it's writing on the wall. Well, what happened was, during that time, many of the people of, of the Babylonian, the, the warriors, the army, they defected from Babylon. They went over to the other side of the Persians, the Medes, of Cyrus. Why? Because they had had it with their king. And you know what happened? They were, the oppressors were feeding on their own flesh. They were killing one another. They were drunk with the blood of their own people. This actually happened in history. At that time, that God said it would happen. God allowed it to happen, and he caused it to happen. And this is what the Bible tells us. And then he says, And all flesh will know that I, Yahweh, am your Savior, and Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Hallelujah. Isaiah reveals that the vindication of the people of God, God himself will fight for his people and redeem them from all adversity. When we're talking about waiting on God as Christians, one of the things that we have to understand is we're going to be persecuted. We're going to be. You know how I know? Jesus said so. In Matthew 5, verses 10 through 12, I didn't get to read, there was a lot of stuff that I left out of last week's message. I could have went another couple of hours. But this is one of the things I have out. But it's important to today. When we're waiting on the Lord, we have to understand that we're going to go through tough times. We're going to be persecuted. It says in Matthew 5, verses 10 through 12, it says, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Well, it begs a question. The statement begs a question. Does that mean that there's going to be persecution. Yeah. If you really are a follower of Christ, you will be persecuted. And God, Jesus says, blessed are those who have been persecuted. When you're being persecuted, you don't feel blessed. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't feel good to be persecuted. It feels not right. It feels unjust. It feels like somebody's picking on you. But he says, blessed, who have been persecuted for what? For the sake of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's that kingdom. And he says, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you. He's not talking about the snowflakes that you see on social media, on the streets, who can't stand to be told the truth. Don't be those people. Be strong. If it's not true, don't take it in. He says, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you 
falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Because of me. Rejoice. Be glad. What are you talking about, Jesus? What do you mean be glad and rejoice? He says, because of him. What he's saying is he's worth it. He's worth being hated for. He's worth dying for. He's worth it. He says, rejoice. Somebody speaks evil of you because of me, but you're in good company. And he says, rejoice and be glad. Why? For your reward in heaven is great. <coughs> or in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Again, it begs that question. Does that mean that there's going to be persecution? Yes, absolutely. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says this to uh, latch on to the words of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13, he says, To this present hour we are both hungry thirsty. And poorly clothed, and are roughly treated, and are homeless. And we toil, working with our own hand. We are reviled. We bless when we are persecuted. We endure when we are slandered. We try to, rec to conciliate. Uh, we have become as the scum of the world. Praise God, you're the scum of the world. If you are his. Amen. Don't be afraid of that title. Work proudly. I'm the scum of the earth because of Jesus. He says, we're the dregs of all things even until now. In 2 Corinthians, he says this in chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. He says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the, suppress, the surpassing greatness of power, of the power of, of uh, let me start it all over again. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 10. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God, not from ourselves. Amen. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. Amen. Be persecuted on his behalf. That's what he's saying. Just like Jesus died, die like him. Don't be afraid to die. And in Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, verses 10 through 13, he says this to Timothy. He says, now you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, Persecutions and sufferings, such as happened to be in Antioch, and Iconium, and at Lystra, real places that exist still today. What persecutions I endured, and out of them all, the Lord rescued me. God contended on his behalf. He says, indeed, this is the key, indeed all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Expect it. If you desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, expect to be persecuted. It's going to come. At some point in time, 
Maybe it's come and gone, and it's just going to come and go again. But I love those words in Scripture. I think it's the King James, one of my favorite passages. But it came to pass. It came to pass. But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. The point being is this, God will not forsake us in the midst of all the pain, in the midst of all our chaos, in the midst of all our pain. Do you know him? Do you know that he won't forsake you? And it's not because of anything that you do, it's not anything in particular that is associated with who you are. It's because of his unchanging love. It's because of what he has said. And Jesus came, the incarnate God, and he lived the life that we could never live. So that it could be credited to us in that great exchange at the cross. His death on our behalf, his life lived that we could never live, imputed to us. So we would be right before God. We can be just before God. Justification comes instantly when we repent of our sins and we come to him and we confess him and we seek him. Remember what Jeremiah said, it's good to wait. And the Lord is good to those who seek him, to those who wait on him patiently. That's the promise of God. He will contend. He will not leave you alone. He will go through it with you. Even if it doesn't seem like it, he's there. He's going through it with you, and he'll uphold you. And he'll contend with those who contend against you. The question is, do you know him? Have you received him? Because the Bible says, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God, nor can you enter the kingdom of God. You must be born again. That's what the Bible says. That's what Jesus says. In teaching Nicodemus, he said this. You must be born again. That's the first thing. And it's something that we cannot do. It's not within us to do so. Jesus confirms this in John chapter 6 when he says, No one can come to me unless the Father first draw him. You must be born again. If you've never been born again, then you don't see what I'm talking about. And you won't enter into what I'm talking about until you are born again. And that comes from above. That is God causing you to live life, to regenerate you to new life, to give you a life spirit that was dead in trespasses and sin. That's the hope that we have. And God contends on our behalf. He has contended with the devil. The enemy is only a matter of time when he meets his final fate. And I love to read that in Revelation where we see what his final fate is. He's thrown into the lake of fire forever and ever, where the smoke of his torment goes up forever and ever and ever and ever. Do you know him? In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 32, communion, we celebrate communion. We rejoice and commemorate communion. And that communion is an important part of the Christian life. It's acknowledging Jesus' death. 
It's acknowledging that he died on our behalf. It's acknowledging that we believe God and we take him at his word. And we remember and we partake with him as if in the Last Supper when they took this originally. And Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He says in verse 23, he says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of He's talking about the death of Christ. He's talking about the crucifixion. Jesus died. And praise God. Because that's where the debt of the debt that we owe, the certificate of debt that we owe to God because we violated him. That's where the price is paid. That's where that debt is paid for. That debt is paid for right then and there. And he says, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. It represents the blood of Christ, that which would be shed on the cross. He says, Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And we do remember him. We remember what he did, what he has done. We remember that he is at the right hand of the Father when he ascended to his rightful place. And he went back to his place where he belongs with scars, nail scars in his hands and nail scars in his feet and a hole in his side in that same body that he paid to pay for that debt. That's what communion is. Remember that he did it. That it's done. That it's paid for. That he shouted from the cross, Patelestai. It's finished. It's paid in full. That's what communion is about. And he says, Paul says this, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and of the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And when he says, let a man examine himself, he's not just talking about, am I a good person? You're not. None of us is. What he's saying is, examine yourself. Are you of the faith? Are you born again? Has he caused you to come to life? Has he called your name from the grave? Has he brought you forth? That's what communion is. And that's what we're going to participate in next. So we're going to do a song. After I pray, we're going to do a song. And then after we do that, as we do the song, as you're ready and you've examined yourself and you're prepared, come and individually take of the bread and of the wine or of the juice. There is wine. There is juice, and there is the bread. 
and take it back with you, and we will take it all as one, as they did, all as one, as one family, one spirit, as one body. And then afterwards, we'll do one more song, and then we'll dismiss to go down and enjoy a feast. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, how wonderful that you are. How glorious this plan of salvation and redemption that you have played out from before the foundations of the world was always your plan. You knew that men would fall, and you knew that we would be fallen. But we don't deserve your love. We don't deserve your forgiveness, your redemption, your reconciliation. We deserve eternity in hell. But, oh, Lord, how we thank you for Jesus. Hallelujah. We thank you for his life that was perfect and fulfilled the law. We thank you that he fulfilled the law and earned that right to die in our place, to take our sin, and you placed it upon him, and he faced that wrath that we will never face. And oh, how we thank you. Oh, how we thank you for that life that comes from the death of the perfect one who imputes his life to us that life everlasting. And you imputed our sin unto him. And he that knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him, in Christ Jesus. For he lives. And he lives evermore. And we rejoice in our Savior, in our King, in our Redeemer, in the one who took our sin, in the one who has those scars. The one who paid it all. We don't deserve a bit of it. How we thank you. How we thank you. We praise you, we thank you, we bless you. In Jesus' holy name.
symbol of his precious blood he spilled, the blood that cleanses us from all unrighteousness, from all sin, from the wretched, wretched that we are, he makes us right before God. This is the precious blood that was spilled. Thank you, Lord Jesus, again for spilling your blood, for enduring, as you did, many sinners on that day. Thank you for that appointed time that you came and you fulfilled everything. Thank you that you were buried and that you rose again, all according to Scripture, on the third day. And that you rose and ascended into that rightful place, right ahead of the Father. And we only wait for your return. Until then, Lord, we proclaim your death. The death has been killed. The life has been given. Thank you for all of those things. Thank you for your goodness and grace for contending on our behalf. Bless you, O Lord, for your good. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 
Send us and fill us, enable us, empower us by your Holy Spirit to walk by your Spirit and not by sight. Help us, Lord, to further your kingdom for your name's sake and for your glory's sake, that you would be glorified in all that we do. We praise you, Lord. We thank you. We bless you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. The Lord bless thee. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. And keep thee. Lord, make his face to shine upon thee. The Lord bless thee. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. And keep thee. Lord.